Gospel of Matthew begins with the assurance. Is this on? The Gospel of Matthew begins... Sounds like it's on. The Gospel of Matthew begins with the assurance, God is with us. It ends with the assurance, God is with us. Go and I will be with you always, even to the end. So we needed to hear that. Thank you, choir. I want to pray with you and plunge into our few moments together tonight. Father, this has been a full day. You've been here in the midst of us. Nothing's changed. You're still here, and we are still worshiping you. Let this teaching tonight Call us to move off of this mountaintop into the life and the mission that awaits us all. We have one passion, that is the Lord Jesus Christ and his soon return. Keep us ignited with that, we pray in his name. Amen. 492 years ago today, you could hear the agitated crunch of the strewn autumn leaves as that young man, barely 30 years old, hurries across the village plaza, clutching in his hand his mission. He's got to find that bulletin board for the university. Turns out the university bulletin board is the wooden door to the university church. 500 and, no, 400, rather, 492 years ago today, young Martin Luther issued 95 challenges to the prevailing religious political superpower of his day. 95 challenges to this notion of indulgences getting you anywhere in this life. The 95 Theses. When my boy Kirk was little, he came home so excited one day. He said, oh, Daddy, Daddy, we learned today about Martin Luther and how he nailed up the 95 species. <laughs> 95 Theses. 95 Challenges. Unwittingly, by the way, igniting in the process, the mighty Protestant Reformation. Had no clue, never wanted to leave the mother church, but God's raised up that boy, turned young man, and the Reformation was launched. I carry these words in my Bible because I don't want to forget. These words... Well, let's not waste a good picture, so let's at least look at Martin before we hurry on. <laughs> I forgot Martin was with us tonight. <laughs> Thank you, Martin. Great man, great man. Suffered physically. Let's just leave his picture up. Suffered physically. Oh, if he had had somebody from Amen when he needed it. Intense constipation. Well, that's not funny. That was his cross to bear. 
intense bowel seizure, just locking up, begging for deliverance. And of course, in, 15, in, the, in the 1520s and 30s, there wasn't a whole lot of deliverance coming from anybody back then for that problem. Martin Luther. By the way, since we're on this, Charles Spurgeon, one of the great, great, great preachers, suffered what he called his black dog, always with him, depression. Have you noticed that when God names a man, when God names a woman, he lames her? When God named Jacob, he said, I'm going to lame you now. I'm giving you a new name, but I'm going to lame you so that you're going to lean on me like you've never leaned before. When God names a man, he lames him. Some of you have gone through a laming. You never knew what it was. You've just suffered under it. You've, you've begged God to take it away like Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. He says, no, when I named you, I lamed you. You're going to live with this thorn in the flesh until you die. But you will need me till you die. And I'll make it up to you one day. You will walk without a limp. You will dance without a limp one day. So Luther had it. Uh, great controversy. I carry these words in my Bible. Oh, my. The Reformation did not, as many suppose, end with Luther. Amen. It is to be continued to the close of this world's history. Luther had a great work to do in reflecting to others the light which God permitted to shine upon him. Yet, yet he did not receive all the light which was to be given to the world. From that time to this, new light has been continually shining upon the Scriptures, and new truths have been constantly unfolding. We are the inheritors of the mighty Reformation. It's still going on. Light. What, what is it? Proverbs 4.18, The path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more and more and more unto the perfect day until Christ comes. That light just keeps getting brighter. Isn't that great? Amen. We're in this thing together. The Reformation is yours and it's mine. Don't you let anybody take it away from you. In the heart of this Reformation we've been called to raise up is a teaching that we gave quick attention to this morning. I want to go back to it tonight. I'm changing. Did it called an audible. And I'm changing our, our theme tonight. So the study guide you have will be good if you go to our website and... Uh, <laughs> Get, get, get the answers, because the answers are all there at the bottom of the study, guys, at, at the website. But I feel impressed to do this. Uh, this is the group to do it with. And so uh, you'll need to write down two lines. I'm going to give you two lines. I'm gonna, it's going to look like there's study guide material, and it'll all be in yellow, and you'll say, oh, I want to fill it in. You won't be able to. That study guide that you're about to see is also on our website, so you can, uh, you can fill that out later. But I, just, just get the kernel of what we're studying tonight, and then uh, everybody wants to leave. This is... Uh, this is Saturday night, and so we, we will not linger long here. Let, let, let's go to that unique contribution to keep the Reformation fires ignited. Leviticus chapter 16, the great, the great pinnacle of the Pentateuch. By the way, the Pentateuch is a chiasm. Do you know what a chiasm is? It's a literary mountain. That means Genesis. They go like this. Genesis, Deuteronomy, Exodus, Numbers. Leviticus is the peak of the chiasm. Scholars have now found out that Leviticus is not only the peak of the Pentateuch, chapter 16 of Leviticus is the peak of the peak. And chapter 16, wouldn't you know it, is the Day of Atonement chapter in all of Holy Scripture. It has a New, it has a New Testament twin, Hebrews 9. Chapter 16 is the peak, the, the literary peak of that chiasm. Uh, Leviticus chapter 16, 29. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves 
and not do any work, whether native-born or alien living among you, because on this day at one moment, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Key word, cleansing of the sanctuary. We've grown up with that. That's our contribution to human thought and theology. Because on this day of atonement, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. Try to imagine 10th day, 7th month. We're in the community. We're in the community of faith, that little wandering horde of liberated slaves making its way to the promised land. You and I are there. Today has come, the day of atonement, day of atonement, Yom Kippur in the Hebrew. We have come to Yom Kippur. Today the entire congregation, hundreds, thousands, gathers around the church. Only difference today is the church is empty. There's nobody in the church except one human being, only one human being. Every one of us is gathered, pressed around. Nobody's laughing. Nobody's, nobody's joking. Nobody's chit-chatting. Every mind is intensely tuned to what we cannot see. We cannot even hear it today. Normally, we could hear him, our high priest, because sewn into the, into the hem of his magisterial garments... We're bell, pomegranate, bell, pomegranate, bell, pomegranate, bell, pomegranate. But he has stripped himself of his regal robes, and now he's in the sacred white linen. We can't even hear him. Is he alive? Try to imagine if Aaron slept the night before. Would you sleep the night before going into the physical Shekinah presence of Almighty God. You couldn't sleep. You'd be on your knees the whole night long. Tradition says that the congregation eventually tied a rope around the ankle of the high priest, just in case, as representative of this fallen community of sinners, which you and I are, he might be stricken down by God because of my unconfessed sin. There's a whole lot of praying going on outside the church, a whole lot of praying going on inside the church, especially by Father Aaron, who just weeks ago lost two boys who in their inebriated stupor stumbled into the Shekinah glory and gone, just like that, nuked. He knows that when he draws this veil aside, he's in lethal glory. Lethal only because he's a sinner. Uh, what was it like on the day of at one minute? Yom Kippur. There are two clues, and here's the two lines you're going to write down. There are two clues that can guide us how to live in the Yom Kippur of human history because that's our contribution. Martin Luther could, didn't, didn't live long enough to even find the Sabbath, but we've lived long enough now to find Yom Kippur. The final strategic chapter in salvation history is being written as we sit here tonight. We've already been through that this morning. Two clues in the ancient Yom Kippur. Let's go. Clue number one, the command, you must deny yourselves. What's going on here? Deny yourselves. I keep your, keep your, well, you can't keep your pen moving, sorry. To deny yourself means it, it is depicting an intense, personal, personal Seeking after God. We don't know what this word afflict. In the King James, the Hebrew is rendered afflict. In the New American Standard, it's humble yourself. The NIV, it's deny yourself. So what's up? Nobody knows. Roy, Roy Gain, 
Old Testament professor at our theological seminary. Have you heard of Roy Gain? Bright mind. If you ever have a little gathering and you need a scholar to come down and spend a weekend with you, Roy and Connie will come. And just a delightful couple. She's an archaeologist and he's an Old Testament scholar. Get this. Roy Gain was invited by Zondervan Publishing to author in their NIV application Bible commentary series to author the book on Leviticus and Numbers. A Seventh-day Adventist scholar was asked by an evangelical giant, would you please author the study on Leviticus and Numbers? Roy Gain writes about the Day of Atonement, the Day of Atonement. And it's been so helpful for me in my study to have uh, Roy's commentary. But Roy is talking about what's going on here. And he makes this point. He says, okay, so in the Pentateuch, we, Moses never uses that word elsewhere. So we don't know what he means by to afflict yourselves. But if we look at Psalm 35, 13, we look at Isaiah 58, 3, and we look at Ezra 8, 21, three other instances, the practice of denying yourself or humbling yourself is always linked to fasting. Fasting. Turns out it's true. The Day of Atonement is the only day of the liturgical, of the liturgical calendar whereupon God commanded fasting. In fact, in Acts 27, it's called on the fast. Paul said, we we're going to take a ship, but it was the fast. He's talking about Yom Kippur. They just called it the fast. It's the only day God commanded fasting. It's the only day, by the way, outside of the Sabbath that God commanded no work. I want no work on this day. Zero work. I want you to afflict yourself. I want you to humble yourself, deny yourself. What's going on? Let's, let's uh, look at Roy here. Thus, practicing self-denial is an outward expression accompanying supplication to God at a time of inner distress. Temporary suspension of normal activities, including eating that sustains life, that would be fasting, focuses on God without interruption and acknowledges total dependence upon God at a time of special need. What's the big deal about fasting? I'm going to talk about a subject that I've never talked about until just, I just preached this uh, three, four weeks ago. I've never brought it up. But I'm going to do it outside of my pulpit here tonight with you. What's the big deal about fasting? Have you noticed we are living in an appetite-driven culture? Appetite, appetite, appetite. In fact, think about this. Every television ad that you can think of touches on appetite. Appetite for possession, appetite for food, appetite for popularity, appetite for power, appetite for fame. Almost every ad, I was trying to think, is there one ad that does not appeal to appetite? It's got to be one. We live in an appetite-driven culture. So what would happen? In this culture in which you and I are seeking to spiritually survive, what would happen if we asked ourselves tonight, what is it we're really hungry for? What are you hungry for? What is it that drives you? What is it that fuels your life as a medical professional? What are you hungry for? Appetite for success? Appetite for prominence? What is it? We all suffer from appetite. That's a, it's actually not a suffering. God gives us appetite. But what is it we're hungry for? Maybe it's a counterbalance to our appetite-driven culture in society. Maybe once in a while, now here's where I'm going to where, where we've not gone before. Maybe once in a while we ought to think about intentionally denying our appetite and fasting. We need to keep in mind Jesus' quick, his, just, his immediate bit of balanced counsel, Sermon on the Mount. 
You remember these words of Jesus. This is Matthew 6, verse 16. When you fast. Okay, let's just assume that you're going to fast. Jesus never commands a fast, but he assumes you might. When you fast, and by the way, he says when the bridegroom's gone, that's when the, that's when the friends will fast. So it's just a kind of a tacit acknowledgement there will be times when you fast. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men and women, whoa, I'm fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. The reward is, whoo, and that's it. That's it. Whoo, he's fasting. Wow. That's all the reward you get. You tell, that's it. Now look at, I love this. This is Eugene Peterson. Uh, but when you fast, let me finish this verse. When you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is, not, who is unseen and your Father who, is, who sees what is done in secret. Ah, he will reward you. Now look at Eugene Peterson in the message. When you practice some appetite-denying discipline, I like that, appetite-denying discipline to better concentrate on God, don't make a production out of it. Now, this is really good. Here it goes. It might turn you into a small-time celebrity, but it won't make you a saint. Isn't that good? Oh, you may, oh, they, whoa. No. If you're going into training inwardly, act normal outwardly. Shampoo and comb your hair. Brush your teeth, especially brush your teeth. Wash your face. God does not require attention-getting devices. He won't overlook what you're doing. He will reward you as well. Don't tell, your, don't tell the people at the office that you're practiced. Don't tell your spouse. Don't tell your children. You got a roommate? Don't tell your roommate. Don't tell your friends. Keep it to yourself. Go as if you're going through life as usual. Only you and God know that today, this 24-hour period, or however long you choose to establish it, this period of time, you are going without just a day and a night, perhaps, when you are holding your appetite that normally drives your schedule and defines your day. You think about it, our lives are defined by appetite. They say, I've got to eat here, and then I've got to eat here, and then I've got to eat here. And then uh, next day, I've got to eat here, I've got to eat here, I've got to eat here. We are driven and defined by appetite. So deny it. Just don't tell anybody. Maybe it's not food that you're going to fast from. Perhaps it'll be television. Perhaps it'll be radio. Perhaps it'll be your iPod. Maybe you go without internet news. I'd suggest fasting from our cell phones, but we couldn't live without those, so go ahead and use your cell phone. <laughs> Look, whatever it is you fast from, here's the, here's the point. Whatever it is you fast from, in its usual place in your day schedule, insert some quiet time alone with God. We're talking about substitution here. So I'm, I, I, I don't need 30 minutes to eat now. Hey, I got 30 extra minutes. What are you going to do, do with those minutes? Don't just do more work. You've missed the point of it. Go somewhere, get away from work, take your lunch hour, and substitute it with time with God. Find somewhere where you can be alone. If you have to drive in your car away and park in a, in a Walmart parking lot near the edge, just sit in your car. But be alone. Substitute the, the activity that you're fasting from with this quiet time alone with God. Take your, take your Bible at lunch break. You got a pocket Bible? Of course you do. You got one in your drawer, in your office, at your practice? Of course you do. Take that Bible with you. Find somewhere where you can be alone with Holy Scripture. Here's the deal. Substitute your appetite for food with an appetite for every word. How did Jesus put it? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And by the way, may I remind you when he spoke those words? It was at the end of a 40-day and night fast. He never asks you to do 40 days and 40 nights, ever, ever, ever. You will never have to. 
Moses, Elijah, Jesus. That's it. But it, it, it is in the crucible of that grueling head-to-head -head combat with the fallen Lucifer who has unsheathed his sword. You're the Father's beloved son. Is that what I heard 40 days ago? Draw your arm. It was in that moment of mortal combat that Jesus spoke these words. It is written, man and woman do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. My friends down, in, uh, down the road in Buchanan, Michigan, we've got a great organization down there. They, they are heavily Baptist. They're called uh, Life Action Ministries. I met the head of the uh, organization. They have a beautiful retreat center right on the St. Joseph River. They put out a, a journal called uh, Revive. Revive. You know what? There are people on this planet who are just as eager, perhaps even more eager than we are for revival. That may come as a shock to you, but they are out there by the hundreds and thousands. And God is marking every single one of them. And one day they will be among the 7,000 who do not bow. Marking them. Keep an eye on those people. They're part of my remnant community in the end. They'll never join our church, but they'll be a part of that last community. So anyway, so this, this whole piece is devoted to Bible boredom. You see the, the cover there, Bible boredom. And a great little story here, Howard Hendricks, a brilliant uh, uh, Baptist professor, Dallas Theological. So he tells this story. I've got to share this with you. A man I know came to Christ, so I gave him a New Testament. This man who came to Christ. I gave him a New Testament, and I told him to read it. He came back a week later and said, I read it. I said, I know, but I meant the whole thing. No, he'd read the whole thing. He said, I read the whole thing, including the palms in the back. <laughs> I thought the Psalms were the palms. I read the palms through, including the palms in the back. I understand that there's another section to this thing. <laughs> so I gave him the Old Testament, and three weeks later, he came back and said he'd read it. Now, he's speaking to the reader. My friend, we have elders in our church who have never read the Bible through. Never read it through. Present company accepted, of course. And here's this guy who's like a little kid with a fire engine, so excited to study the Bible. Sometime later, this same man and I were studying the passage where Jesus says, Luke 12, 15, one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. And he stopped me and said, whoa, does this mean what I think it means? I asked him what he thought it meant. And he explained it better than any commentary I had ever read. So this man went out and liquidated a million dollars worth of property to resource the work of Jesus Christ. Just take your little pocket Bible. It'll change your life. Don't read it for the Sabbath school lesson quarterly's sake. Just read it for 30 minutes I have alone with God, and I'm going to read his word right here. He may bring a radical word of instruction to you in that day of fasting. Just kind of waiting for your mind to get cleared. And it'd be a good day now to bring that to her. Be a good day to bring this to him now. His mind's open. We are living in God's final strategic chapter in salvation history. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a judgment going on tonight. He's not taking Halloween off. Tomorrow's All Saints Day. He's not taking it off. He's not taking a day off. The judgment keeps going on. And by the way, I don't know how God's time works, but if it were human time, watch this. Every second on this planet, four babies are born. Every second. 
Two human beings die every second. Net growth of two, one million every six days. We can't even reach the people we have, let alone those who are coming. So it's going to have to be something huge that God will do. Trust me. It won't be amen that finishes the work or Andrews or anybody else. Adventism, period. Can't do it. Okay? But two people die. This is the point I want to tell you. Two people die. So let's just say, let's make this, figure out a second. And if, and if there are really books in heaven, every second, that's it. those are the books being closed on this planet. Life is over. Dead. Heart, no beat. They're working in ER. They won't get him. It's over. Two a second. Two a second. A book is added to the... Okay, take it. Judgment. 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 Ten. Judgment. It's over. Did, he, did she confess Christ? Judgment. Friend of Satan? Gone. Every second, two books are being shut on this planet. God isn't sleeping. He that keepeth thee neither slumbers nor sleeps. We're living in the judgment, ladies and gentlemen. How ought we then to be living? Listen to this from that apocalyptic classic, Great Controversy. We are living in the most solemn period of this world's history. The destiny of Earth's teeming multitudes is about to be decided. Our own future well-being and also the salvation of other souls depend upon the course which we now pursue. Amen. Members, we need to be guided by the spirit of truth. Every follower of Christ should earnestly be inquiring right now, Lord, what will you have me to do? Please tell me. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord with fasting and prayer. Amazing. In the hour of his judgment, we need to humble ourselves before the Lord. This is page 601. With fasting and prayer and to meditate much upon his word, especially the scenes of judgment. Can you believe that? Especially. The fact that we're in the judgment right now. Meditate. Fast and pray and meditate. Humbling ourselves. You know what? Maybe you and I ought to, ought to uh, consider fasting as a demonstration of our total dependence upon God. I, I don't know when to tell you to do it. I don't know how long to tell you to do it. I don't know where to tell you to do it. And if you're on a prescribed diet, check with your, your physician. Check with yourself. And then let me say, since you brought it up, physician, heal thyself. Amen. Physician, heal thyself. You're spending your life trying to help everybody else. It will be the ultimate tragic story of the universe. If those who devoted their lives to healing others are themselves lost, they die of the disease they were trying to heal others of. Physician, heal thyself. Okay, two lines to write down. Line number one was, I mean, two clues. How, do we, how should we live in this day of atonement? Clue number one, deny yourself. And now here's, here's, here's the other line to write down. Assemble yourselves. Clue number one is about, is about um, intense personal seeking after God. Clue number two is going to be intense collective seeking after God. So clue number two, just jot it down, assemble yourselves. To assemble yourselves depicts an intense collective seeking after God. In fact, God uses the language, hold a sacred assembly. Hold a sacred assembly. The Day, the day of Atonement, the, living in the Day of Atonement is both an in, a personal intensification and a collective or corporate intensification. I want to share with you the words of the man who is regarded as the greatest theologian in American history. His name, is, his name was Jonathan Edwards. You've heard of Jonathan Edwards. Let me put some words from Edwards on the screen for you. When God, and I, and I like this, when God is about to accomplish great things for his church... He will begin by remarkably pouring out the spirit of grace and supplication. 
When God is ready to do something huge with His church, He precedes it by the pouring out of the Spirit of grace and supplication. Let me show you, because you see the little quotation marks around that last phrase? Let me show you where He got it from. That would be from Zechariah 12, verse 10. Look at this. And I will pour out on the house of David. And right now at Pioneer, there are a whole bunch of us who are claiming this promise. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. House of David would be the leadership. Inhabitants of Jerusalem would be the membership. All right? Leadership, membership, everybody's treated the same. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. I'm going to pour out upon you a spirit of asking. In fact, uh, the, the, the New Living renders it that way. I will pour out... Pour out upon you a spirit of grace and supplication or a spirit of prayer or a spirit of pleading. What God is saying is, I'm going to pour out a spirit upon you so that when this spirit comes upon you, you are going to, you are going to plead with me. Ask me. You're going to ask and ask and ask like you've never asked before. How did that... Uh, uh, Jonathan Edwards put it here, when God has something very great to accomplish for His church, it is His will that there should precede it the extraordinary prayers of His people. So uh, Joshua this morning talked about, you know, well, we got the, we've seen God at work. We've seen God at work in the past. And we're going to see the latter rain, oh, hallelujah, in the future. But we don't see God at work in the present. Ladies and gentlemen, the latter rain is still future. Revelation 18, 1, and I saw that another angel came down and the whole earth was lightened with his glory. That's the glory of Christ. And there will be a massive global revival before Jesus returns. All right? So we know it's coming. But the, in the present, before the latter rain, a spirit of supplication. So here's the deal. What if you and I began claiming uh, Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, and we said, God, I need, I need the spirit of pleading. I need you to give me an, a heart that asks Come on, because I'm not asking. I'm just not asking. I don't care that much. Give me a heart that pleads with you. I can't even engender that myself. Give me the heart that asks. I'm just asking for the heart right now. You can hold the Holy Spirit until I really ask. Give me a heart that asks. My kids. Oh, by the way, speaking of the kids, because every time they, they would get near Christmas, they would start finding in the Sunday paper, the Kids Are Us catalogs, you know, those, those things that come out every Sunday. And, and as Karen and I were driving in here, we could not believe this little community. I'm, I, I bet you after midnight tonight, the moment November 1 comes, they're hitting all the lights and the Christmas trees will be lighting tomorrow night. I mean, did you see all these ready and waiting Christmas decorations ready to go? I've never seen a country that, you know, we're going to soon be celebrating Christmas starting in September all the way through just to make sure we can cover our Christmas list. So anyway, when the Kids Are Us catalogs, when, when, my, when my kids are little, Kirk and Christy, uh, they would, they would I, in fact, I'd give them to them from the Sunday paper, hey, kids, you want to look at this? Kids Are Us. And they would pour over. And here's, here's my boy, Kirk. So he'd look at this thing. He'd go, he'd go in the corner. Oh, oh. Oh, and pretty soon, I'm telling you the truth, pretty soon, he'd be standing in front of me. He said, Daddy, I found it. I found it. I have been wanting this my whole life. It's right here, Dad. Can I have it, Daddy? Please, can I have it? I get, this year, this year, I'll be very good between now and Christmas, but I got to have this. Have you ever heard that? And what am I thinking in my mind? Yeah, right. <laughs> Isn't that what the dad is thinking? Yeah, right. All right, Kirk, thanks. See ya. 
Because I know that next week when the second follow-up flyer comes out in the Sunday paper, Kirk will get it. He'll go back in that same corner. He'll look at it. But it'll be a whole other page. Oh, oh, Dad, I finally, I finally found it. This is what I've really been wanting. Every parent knows that you don't take the first ask. You never take the first ask. You wait. You watch. How bad does she really want this? Huh? Now, if week after week after week, he's coming back to that same little picture in Walmart or Kids R Us, and he keeps saying, this is it. You know, after a few weeks, I'm thinking, I think he's focused in on this. <laughs> Isn't that right? Of course I am. He's, he's now impressing me. This is not a fly-by-night, drive-by shooting. This is an actual desire. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I have prayed for the Holy Spirit like a kid with a Toys R Us catalog. Oh, wow, I went to amen. Boy, that preacher got me excited about the Holy Spirit. So, God, I'm back here in my office. Before the patients arrive, I want to tell you, I want the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Busy, got to go. And Tuesday, Tuesday, we're not even remembering it. And God's turning to Gabriel and says, Toys R Us, right? And Gabriel says, yeah, that's what it is. Holy Spirit, just another toy to gratify my sense of possession. That's why Zechariah 12.10, ladies and gentlemen, is so critical. Because God says, listen, I'll give you the spirit of asking, and you won't quit asking. You'll keep asking and asking and asking until finally one day, boom, when I'm ready, you got it. But your heart is so wide open now, you can get everything I'm pouring out. So don't be like, a, don't be like our kids. When you see that promise of the Holy Spirit in this uh, scriptural catalog, you just keep your finger on that. And you, every time you come back to God, you say, God, it's this one. I haven't changed my mind. I still want it. You keep asking. He's registering it. Ellen White says that those prayers are stored up. The prayers for the latter rain are stored up in heaven. Stored up. One day, an explosion, and the whole earth is lightened with his glory. So you got to keep asking. Don't ever quit asking. Uh, oh, I left this slide in. Because if deny yourself is a private and intensely personal experience, assemble yourselves is an intensely collective experience. Guess what? I know you don't want to hear this. But if you believe that we're living in the day of atonement, and that the judgment is going on now, and Yom Kippur is in full steam ahead, you're going to be finding every opportunity to gather with others who believe just like you, and that includes prayer meeting. Oh, but I'm a doctor. I'm a dentist. My practice goes very late. And I come home, and I'm so tired. So you'll understand I can't go. Hey, you don't have to convince me. Just make sure God understands. <laughs> don't say a word to me about it. You can justify this till, the, till you're blue in the face, and I'll say amen, amen, amen. You just tell God why in the Day of Atonement you have no time. You're the leader of your practice, and you have no time to meet with that humble little team of saints 
one of whom is so humble that when she puts her curlers on, her blue hair... C.S. Lewis said, sometimes I get to feeling pretty huffy about these fourth, or what was it, fifth-rate poems set to seventh-rate music. And then I look at the little lady with the rubber boots sitting in the pew beside me, and I realize I am not worthy to unlatch those boots. That little woman has been showing up in your church for a prayer meeting for years. Don't you tell me you're too big and too good to join her in prayer. You may just make her life by showing up and saying, guess what? I've rearranged my Wednesday schedules so that I can be here at seven at night. My family can do without me coming straight home. In fact, I'll have them meet me at the church. Five people there, sacred assembly, Yom Kippur. I'm not being hard on you. Clergy have the same problem. And some clergy, if they didn't have to do prayer meeting, would never go to prayer meeting. And there are too many churches that have decided to shut prayer meeting down. And some of you belong to churches like that that don't even meet now on Wednesday nights. We're doing it at home. Rubbish. Deny yourself, personal intensification, collect yourselves, assemble yourselves together, corporate intensification. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know how else we're going to get there. I don't know how else this promise can come true. A revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. To seek this should be our very, very, very first work. There must be earnest effort to obtain the blessing of the Lord, not because God is willing, God is not willing to bestow His blessing upon us, but because we are unprepared to receive it. A revival need be expected only in answer to prayer. 1SM 121. 1SM 121. 1SM 121. A revival of true godliness is our most desperate need. Living in the Yom Kippur Day of Atonement, I think the little lady is absolutely right. We're going to have to start asking for this. Not kids are us. No. Asking and asking. God, Zechariah 12.10, just give me the spirit I beg of you. A spirit of supplication. A spirit of grace and supplication. I'm asking you, please, give it to me. One day he will. And you are going to be in the matrix. In the matrix of the last chapter on earth. And I don't want to be anywhere but in the heart and soul of that final movement. Don't you? Oh, mercy, please, dear God, don't leave us out after all of this that we ourselves should be lost. Intensify. Intensify. Intensify your faith. So how much time are you spending with Jesus every day in prayer? I don't care. Whatever it is, double it. You, you getting 15 minutes in before you hurry to the office? You getting 15 minutes in? Turn it to 30. 
Are you getting 30 minutes in before you go to the office? Turn it to an hour. Double your time. I don't care when you do it. I don't care where you do it. Intensify. 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 I had some young adults come into my office, five of them, five university students. They said, Pastor, we've got to get serious about this. They sent me an email after we visited together, and they said, We're, we are. We're meeting every morning at 5.30 and praying together. 5.30 in the morning, praying together every day. Well, that's a little excessive, don't you think? Every day? I mean, please, just once a week would be fine for me. Every day, 5.30 in the morning, intensify your faith. Whatever you're doing now, up the bar, because God has upped the ante. It's that critical. This is the hour. Jesus is about to come. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in the judgment. It's time to get serious with the Lord Jesus. What do you say? Amen. Little boy, late, <laughs> racing out of his house for the school bus. He missed it again. The neighbor across the street was standing in the shadows, and he saw a little uh, junior come racing up. <sighs> and there disappeared the two red taillights of the school bus. <sighs> Late again. The neighbor called out to him, Hey, junior, looks like you didn't run fast enough. The boy shot back, Oh, no, sir, I ran fast enough. I just didn't start soon enough. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I know you can run fast. I'm very impressed with amen. I know you can run fast, but I'm very concerned that you and I will not start soon enough. It's too late. Five virgins found out. It's too late. Too late. I can't get any of that now. It's over. Start soon. Start now. And start with Jesus. You'll, you'll finish. You'll finish just fine. Let us pray. Oh, God, it's the truth of the Day of Atonement. Intensify our faith. Oh, please, don't let us just say amen to this and be unchanged. Do whatever it takes for preacher and people alike. Change us. Give us the Zechariah 12.10 spirit of supplication so that we will not quit asking. We will not quit asking until you give the prize gift that brings every other gift in heaven's treasury in its wake. Give us, please, a spirit of supplication and do with us what you must do so that Jesus will come soon. We pray in his name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen, Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.